All right, as you have figured out by now, we are in John chapter 6, so open up your Bibles back to John chapter 6. It's been a while since we've been in John. We had our break when we went through Advent, went through the book of Luke. We had our Christmas Eve service, and then last week we were in Isaiah to kind of hear something at the end of the year, starting a new year from the Lord. So now we're going to jump back in the book of John. It's been a little bit, so let me just remind you quickly that we ended chapter, uh, chapter 5, got into chapter 6, where Jesus fed the 5,000. That's what we worked through uh, quite a few weeks ago now. After He fed the 5,000, He had the disciples go around and gather up 12 baskets, and there was a lot left over, but He wanted them to gather it because, again, the reminder is God never wastes anything. So we're going to go through, starting in verse 15, through this text and see if there's some things that the Lord may have for us today. John chapter 6, starting in verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is a reminder again that Jesus is not going to become the king that these people want. He's not coming to rule at that time. In that way, he's coming. His first coming was to come, serve, die on a cross in our place for our sins, be resurrected, go to the right hand of the Father, and one day return. And when he returns, it's not servant, poor, lowly Jesus that you see, but it's warrior, king, long hair, tattoos coming to judge. He'll decide. When he comes, the people cannot force him to it. What we don't see, this miracle that we're about to see with Jesus walking on the water actually happens in the other, some of the other Gospels. And so there's some details that are in those Gospels that we don't have here. I don't want to focus too much on those because we're wanting to get John's perspective on Jesus walking on the water. But one thing we do know is that before he goes up to the mountain, he tells the disciples to go ahead and go. He sends them off. So going to verse 16, When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. Remember, they were up on the hills there as he was teaching and feeding the 5,000. They go down to the sea when the evening came. The evening part is important. That's why it's in there. Realize, what I want us to do today is kind of imagine that we're in a really big boat together. Okay? We're, you all are in this boat. I'm going to be in this boat too. We're in this boat together. And evening's come and we're getting into the boat. They went down to the sea, verse 17, got into the boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. He's going back to where he was before. That's not a surprise. Now, are they going back? It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. Were they expecting him? There, there was only one boat. He told them to go. I think that little insight there that Jesus hasn't come to them yet is for the reader, for us to know, because we know that something's about to happen. They were put in the boat, and he basically said, I'll catch up with you later, but why is he going? What's going on? Where are they going? They're heading back. Jesus is going to be on his way. It's nighttime now. How many of you have ever been on the water at night? Okay? If you're on the water at night... And you don't have a lot of lights with you. It can be scary. But these guys knew the water. They've been in this sea many of times. They're heading out. 
Jesus had not yet come to them. Verse 18, the sea became rough. How many of you have been on the water when it gets rough? Daylight or darkness? Ever been on the water when it's pretty rough? Some of you throw up, get sick, pretty nasty. Okay, so it's starting to get rough. The wind is coming strong. This place apparently is about 700 feet below sea level. That's where the sea is. So what would happen is the cool wind would come off of the mountains and come down and create these storms that would come on the sea. The strong wind was blowing, pitch black. It's getting pretty rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, can you imagine against the wind and the waves trying to row like that? Probably pretty exhausted. Three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Do you think that's a reasonable response if you see somebody walking on the sea? Yes. Yes. Okay? Don't fault them for getting afraid. It's dark. They're exhausted. They probably, again, the the closest point was about five or six miles if you're going to go from the side that they were on to the other side. Five or six miles. So they were about a little over halfway, probably out in the middle, rowing in the darkness, maybe a little afraid, storms there, and here comes Jesus. And again, it wasn't, sometimes when I picture this, I've always pictured it as like calm water, right? I don't know how you guys picture it, but a lot of pain, he's kind of walking on top. I don't know if he's whistling what's going on. The other accounts tell us that he actually had no intention of going to them. He was going to pass by them. What's he doing? But imagine all the, the waves and things, and he's just coming through. It doesn't seem absurd that they got a little fearful when they saw somebody out in the middle of this sea. And they were frightened. As I was reading through this, it's like, well, you, who else would it have been out there walking on water? Right? It's not going to be like Tom from around the corner. Or Bob, I mean, it's gonna, if anyone's going to be able to do this, it's got to be Jesus. But they were still scared. This reminded me of a couple things. Number one, when life is crazy around us, sometimes we don't see very clearly. Like, they're in the boat. It's dark. The storm's there. They're exhausted. And even though it's Jesus coming, they're not seeing clearly. You ever had that? When life is dark, when things are not going well, it's difficult for you, you're exhausted, you don't think very clearly, do you? We don't. Even though it's the only answer, if anyone walking on the water could have been Jesus, that's the only answer, they didn't see it. They didn't see Him. They didn't think that because they weren't thinking clearly. Realize that in our boat, we're like the disciples too. When things get difficult, when it's dark, when we're exhausted, we don't always see God the right way. We don't always see life the right way. We don't always feel the right way. That's why it's, in so, it's so important for us to hear from God in those moments. They needed to hear from Jesus in that moment. And look what happens. They're scared, they're frightened. But he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. Would that have been enough for you? Would that have been enough for you? If you're in the boat, scared, frightened, it's dark, and Jesus says, it is I. Don't be afraid. 
Would you even know his voice? They were with him a lot. They knew his voice. We don't get to audibly hear him, at least most of us. (laughs) We don't audibly hear him speak. How does he speak to us now? He speaks through his word. He speaks through the spirit, of course, inside of us, but he speaks to us through his word. If you hear the words of Jesus, if you hear the scriptures, do you know them? Do you know what Jesus' word says? Because that's the only thing that will give you comfort. Without Jesus, and this is on, on your notes here. You have in the bulletin, there's some notes I put on the back. It says, without Jesus, we have blank and blank. Without Jesus, here's what you have. You're sitting like the disciples. Without Jesus, you have darkness and fear. That's what you have. Darkness and fear. The disciples, they're not with Jesus. They're out on their own. Guess what they have? Darkness and fear. But when Jesus gets there, look what happens. This is incredible. This looks possibly like a second miracle. We're not sure. Debate, there's debate on it, but look what it says. It is I. Do not be afraid. They hear His voice. They know it's Him. He calms them immediately. Then verse 21. Then they were glad to take Him into the boat and, he, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. There's basically a couple of views on this. One is as soon as he got in, all of a sudden another miracle happened and they were there. Maybe. Could be that. If you want to hold that view, great. I think the point that is being said here is once Jesus is in the boat, once Jesus is with us, it's calm. It's like we're there. We just get there. The rowing that they were doing for who knows how long, the fear that they had, the darkness all around them, all that goes away like that because Jesus gets in the boat. They were glad. Would you be glad if the storm's coming, all this is happening, we're in our boat, the storm, and all of a sudden Jesus comes walking on the water? It's like, oh yeah, he, he, he can handle this. Realize he wasn't trying to impress his disciples. That's not why Jesus does. He's not like, hey, let me show you guys this trick that I can do as well as the Son of God. That's not what he's doing. Do you remember right after he had just fed the 5,000, everyone goes around there start talking to each other and like, hey, do you think this is the prophet to come from old? The prophet that's going to be greater than Moses? They were talking about that. Now, is Jesus the prophet who's greater than Moses? The answer is yes, he is. But he's so much more than that. He's so much more than that. So what he's doing now is he's showing you that he is God. Because throughout the Psalms in the, in the Old Testament, you know who controls the weather and who controls the water? There's only one that can do that. Do you know who that is? That's God. He's the only one who controls that type of stuff. So when Jesus says, let me show you what I can do. I'm not like, remember, there's a lot of imagery to Moses throughout this whole time we've been seeing. I'm not going to have to part the sea to walk through it. I'm going to come right across the top of it. If he has that kind of power, that kind of control, you want him in the boat. Get on in the boat. Peace. Do you have peace right now? Not only are the storms around us that's going on with them, I'm asking also about the storms in your hearts. The fear. Whatever. The darkness. The great thing about Christ is He takes that away too. But you have to listen to His voice. 
You have to receive his voice. You have to believe in him. So they immediately land where they're going. Again, whether it's a a miracle and they just get there or it feels like it just floats by with peace. doesn't matter. You can take both. The point's the same. Jesus makes it peaceful. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with the disciples. They're putting it together. Disciples left. They thought they were going to get to hang out with Jesus a little longer. He knows what they're trying to do. They're trying to make him king. Jesus isn't around. But that his disciples had gone away alone. What do you think they started saying? Where'd Jesus go? But they would have known because he was talking again. He was going to go back to Capernaum. So then what happens? You have, how many, roughly did we say, does anyone remember how many people were there when he fed the 5,000, although that wasn't counting the women and children? Does anyone remember roughly what it could have been? 15, 20,000 people? They're kind of looking around. Hey, where'd Jesus go? Then look what happens. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So these boats come in. You know how many boats it would take to move that many people? That'd be a lot of boats. So we don't know if everybody went with them, you know, went across to find Jesus, or by now some got their bread and they're like, I'm good. We don't know exactly how many, but it's saying that this crowd of people, verse 24, so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Is that a good thing, that they're trying to find Jesus? Generally speaking, would we say it's a good thing that they're seeking after Jesus? We would. We've talked about this before. He's interacted with people multiple times and people are going to Jesus. In the past, what he has said to them is, you're coming to me because of the miracles that I've performed. And that didn't go well for people. If you're looking for signs to who he is, that's one thing. If you're just looking for him to go, oh wow, you're incredible with these miracles. That's not a good thing, he says. So they're going to seek Jesus. Let's see why. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? You know what they're asking as well? How in the heck did you get over here? We know there was one boat. Rabbi, how did you get over here? And Jesus is going to explain himself to him, isn't he? Nope. Just so you know, Jesus doesn't have to explain himself to us. He does many times. God many times shows us things and reveals things to us. But that's not a right that we have. That's called grace. So when you pray and say, God, will you show me these things? Sometimes he says, absolutely, I'll show you. And sometimes he says, no, but trust me. Here's his response. Jesus answered them. Now, most of the time, especially in the book of John so far, when he starts off with truly, truly, (laughs) you know you're about to get it. It's kind of like when your mom would say your first and middle name. You're about to get something here. Okay, He's about to let them know where they stand. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. He's already busted some people's chops for just wanting the miracles. Signs are not bad because when you see the signs, you're seeing that they point to something. They point to Him being the Son of God so you can worship Him. Signs are okay. He's saying, you're not after the signs either. 
You're after bread. You're after material goods, and you think, I'm a pinata. You can just come to, and I'll just keep blessing you with these things, and that's why you're coming. We do need to be careful. We want God to bless us. We do ask for things. We're supposed to ask for things. But there's a difference, and we've talked about this before. There is a difference between, I love you, Dad. Let's spend time together, Dad. Let's hang out together. Oh yeah, can I also have ten bucks? Versus, hey Dad, can I have ten bucks? I'll catch you later. There's a difference. We have to ask ourselves, are we just seeking Jesus so we can get blessings? So we can just receive his blessings in the sense of material things? Are we using him? And our prayer times are nothing but a pinata time. Hey, Jesus, need a new car. Got a medical issue. Or are we going to him for the relationship? We've got to ask ourselves, ask the Spirit, check our hearts on this. So he gets all over them. And now he explains something to them. Look what he says, 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Right now, I'm sure for many of you, you're starting to think back to some of the conversations he's had, especially with the woman at the well. Same language being used here, this kind of water that will always be there, this eternal life, this water. Same thing, now he's talking about the food. Don't labor for things that perish. All too often, guys, we are laboring for things that perish. We work so hard, devote so much energy, time, to these material things that are going to burn away. There's nothing to them. We're doing works, we're helping people for the wrong motive. Guess what? That stuff's going to burn away. Everything that we're to do is for the glory of God. Working for the kingdom. Those are the only things. That's what's going to last. They're going to be tested by fire. Don't be spending our lives and our energy and worry on things of this life. That's not the point. The things that we have in this life are to bless others with. That's why you have things. It's to bless people. And so we've got to continue to do that. Jesus is saying, don't labor for that stuff. Labor for the things that will endure to eternal life. When he says that for on him, talking about the Son of Man, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Some say that's, that could be Jesus' baptism in particular, but ultimately what it's saying is we've seen over and over again that God approves Christ. He says, this is my anointed one. When he, all the miracles that he's doing, that's part of God testifying, saying he is the Christ, he is the chosen one, he is my son. God's seal is upon him. And we know that the Spirit comes on him at his baptism as well. Last couple of verses, look what it says, verse 28. Then they said to him, so he says, don't labor for that stuff, labor for things that are going to be eternal. So they ask the question, what must we do to be doing the works of God? I think it's a reasonable question. He says, labor for the things that are eternal. Great, what are the works of God? What do we need to do? That's our default mode. All humans, that's where we always go to. What work do I need to do for God? And you know how you can tell that? One, you look at all other religions. We've talked about this before. All the religions have a list of things to do that's going to get you to heaven or might get you to heaven. 
Christianity is different because it's, it's dependent on what God has done in Christ. That's the difference. So they default to where most of us default to because even though we know the truth that Christ has done everything for us, we don't have to do anything for our salvation except have faith, we still go there even after we're Christians. We still start to find our worth in whether or not I did my quiet time or what my attendance was at church or Sunday school. And we talk about our worth being in that. Your worth, you are in Christ. Now, do those things help your relationship with God in the sense of how you communicate with Him, hear from Him? Absolutely, no doubt. But when we get into thinking that our worth comes from the things that we're doing and that our salvation comes from the things that we're doing, if you think for a second that you can lose your salvation, then you don't understand the Gospel. Because that means you think you did something to earn it. That means you think you can do something to lose it. You can't. Believer, rest in the fact that you cannot lose it. Because Jesus has you. Liam, come here real quick. Come up here. Didn't tell him I was going to do this. Sorry. We were talking about this the other night, and I think it was Greg and Julie and I were talking, and Liam grabbed a hold of my hand. Liam's got me, right? But he's not strong enough to hang on. If it's dependent on you, you're not strong enough to hang on to God, I promise you. But, grab my hand. Now, do you have my hand, buddy? He's got my hand, doesn't he? And I've got his hand. And I'm not going to let him go. Even if I have to pick him up, (laughs) yank his arm out of the socket, I'm not letting him go. God has you. You need to understand that it's nothing you've done that's earned your salvation. There's nothing you're going to do to lose that salvation. He has you. Thank you, buddy. Good job. What works must we do? Here's Jesus' answer. This is where we're going to end. Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He sent. Belief. So the, on the back of your uh, bulletin, the work of God is belief in the Son. Now here's the question. What does it actually mean to believe in Christ? This is what I'll end with. What does it mean to believe in Christ? Because as we talked about before, do, does Satan believe in Jesus? Demons, they're all about Jesus. Yeah, they believe in Him, right? So it's not just knowing the right things, although that's part of it. There's three blanks on there. Here's three things I have for you. Think rightly about Jesus. What that means is don't believe in a Jesus that you create. Believe in the Jesus of the Bible. Okay? Well, Jesus would never speak against this or that. He loved everybody. He would never be against anything. Think rightly about Jesus. Read what He says. Second thing, submit fully to Jesus. We talked about last week. Realize your life is not your own. You have been bought. Submit to Him. Say, whatever you have. That's what it means. Lord? That's the idea. He's Master. He's the boss. And the last one, follow Him faithfully. So you say, well, what is the work of God? What do I need to do? Believe in Christ. What does that mean? Think rightly about Him. Submit fully to Him. And follow Him faithfully by the power of the Holy Spirit. You do that, and guess what? God has you. 
Jesus even says, all that the Father has given me, I will not lose one of them. He has you in his hand. Those three things, for those of you who are Christians, that's part of the takeaway, the application. Think rightly about Jesus. Study scripture. Figure out who he is, what he's saying, what we're to do. Submit to him. My life is not my own. It's Christ's. Follow him faithfully through the word, prayer, being with the saints, all those things. If you're not a Christian and you're here, all you have is fear and darkness. Cry out to Christ. He is the light of the world. Cry out to Christ. He will give you peace. That's your response today. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we do thank you for the fact that you are a gracious God who loves us. We are thankful that we see in Scripture that Jesus is not just a a good guy or a good teacher or even a prophet like so many others, but as He walks on water, as He commands wind and waves to listen to Him, as He holds all things together, Lord, we are thankful that we are in Him and that His death in our place for our sins is what you require. And you showed that it was good. It was a good sacrifice by after three days he rose for our salvation, our justification before you. Lord, I pray for my friends, my family here today. I pray that they would truly believe in Christ, that they would think rightly about him. I pray that they would submit their lives fully to you. I pray that they would follow Jesus faithfully. Lord, take away darkness in our hearts. Take away fear. Give us peace. Let the the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, Lord. For those who do not know you, if they're here today, Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Help us know how to respond, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.